Hi, I'm Paul, the Ripples Guy. Welcome to the Ripples Podcast, where we share quick splashes of inspiration and explore how even our smallest actions can have an ongoing impact on our lives, the people we connect with, and the whole world. Are you in? I hope you enjoy this episode, and I hope you enjoy today. Hello, peeps. It's Paul, the Ripples guy. And we have a lot of our usual peeps on the call with us today. If you're new to joining us as a guest today, welcome, welcome. Um, This is a regular call that I do with the folks who are my Patreon peeps. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a nifty website, sort of like um, Kickstarter or GoFundMe, but it's specifically for creators like myself, podcasters, bands, writers, um, uh, bloggers, people who put out creative content and, and are able to connect with the people who want to support them. And we are up to 195, I think, Patreon peeps who help me. And they basically fund just about all of the Ripley goodies we do. They cover the cost of sending out 30,000 ripples every Monday morning, which is now up over $300 a month. Um, they help me pay for creators, uh, web people. We have the, the Daily Splash website um, that has a quote every day. There's a quote pond website. I'll put links at the end of our time together to all of these. And they also, because of the funds they bring, I have a little kitty that when somebody emails me I'm, I'm, in response to Ripples and they're really struggling, instead of just writing them a little email, it's it's I've got little funds that I can drop some some goodies in the mail to them, some stickers, maybe a card, sometimes even a hope kit that's got some of the materials that we developed during the pandemic um, to help people who are really struggling. The biggest thing that they do is they cover the cost of my health insurance. Um, and that dropped a couple of years ago when my sweetie's employer, Ignite Philanthropy, hello to some ignitions who are on the call today, they um, allowed domestic partners to be on the health insurance, which cut my health insurance in half. And the rest is paid for by my peeps. And especially when the pandemic wiped out my income, that was a big deal. We have a full 30 minutes that are um, planned today. And we usually set um, the format of these calls very similar to the weekly Ripples email. So if you recognize Pebble, Boulder, Ponder, we start with a pebble, a really short little resource that I'm using personally or professionally. And I have a link here to a book. We're actually gonna talk about the book more as we dive into passion today, but I wanted to highlight 4,000 weeks, time management for mortals. Uh, This is by Oliver Berkman. He is a writer. He actually was the, for the Guardian newspaper, he was their productivity columnist for, for a really long time. His job was to try out all the time management systems. And a few years ago, just before the pandemic, he had reached a conclusion that there was a pretty significant flaw in most of the time management systems. And he went into a little existential crisis about it, thought about it, wrote about it, and came out on the other side, helping a lot of people like me who who have tried lots of systems to understand here is what we're missing. We can borrow some things from other systems. But the big thing is, finitude. We have a finite amount of time and energy to explore and how do we make the most of it? I'll tell you more about that. If the idea of adding a book to your to-do list overwhelms you, I also put in the link um, 
a uh, podcast interview that NPR did with him a few months back that does a great job of capturing the essence of the book. So that's the pebble. The boulder is usually an activity that I'm doing either in my uh, personal life or in my professional life. And because I'm going to be sharing my screen today to give to show some slides, I have a great presentation, a great activity that I want to show you. I've started doing um, a couple of months ago at the beginning of the year. And before I show it to you, I need to put the chat back open. I hate that um, Zoom takes away my participant list and my chatting list. Uh, when, when I share my screen. But I'm going to pop open my photos. I don't know who out there might have this problem. Um, for the past two years, my phone has been yelling at me, my computer has been yelling at me, and even iCloud now is yelling at me that I have too many photos. I started the year with 20,000, 22,000 photos, 600 videos. I'd never really spent much time going through them, and the task seemed overwhelming. Partly because of some things that I heard, I learned from the time management, um, the 4,000 weeks with Oliver Berkman. But then I caught uh, an article that mentioned a TikToker who came up with an interesting solution. And it works on your phone, your iPhone, it works on um, photos on your Mac. And my understanding is it works in a variety of other ones, but you basically go find where all your photos are and find the search bar. In my, in my case here, it's up in the right-hand corner, upper right-hand corner. And I'm just going to put in today's month and day, February 23rd. And that tells me that over the last 25 years, I've still got 16 photos that are uh, from February 23rd. And I spend a couple minutes just taking a look at them and cleaning them up. I know that all these were in a process or in an export that I did for a project on two presentation slides. So I don't need those. Oh, picture me and Grendel. I'm going to keep that. This one and this one was part of that thing. Um, let's see, what are these others? Oh, that's a that was a leak in my condo wall uh, in 2015 that we don't need anymore. Um, oh, that was screenshots I needed. Oh, I was yelling at Hilton because they were, oh, Oreos. Shocking, Paul takes pictures of, his, of every Oreo he's ever eaten. We don't need to keep that from 2019. Um, oh yes, the rock fairy brought, get, sent me some rocks and I remember taking that picture. I think that was actually for the Patreon peeps um, during the pandemic. And oh, and this, <laughs> this was my photo today that I took because um, I'm having some of my PNGers to help me find out if my favorite crest is going away. We don't need to keep that. I put it on Facebook already. Um, and so that cleaned up. So from 18 down to two today, sometimes I'm getting rid of 80 photos. Sometimes there's only three or four and I'm going to keep them all. I will tell you that in the last six weeks, I have reclaimed over 10% of my hard drive space and uh, even more of my iCloud storage. And here's the cool thing. You're not going to be able to do this all at once. If it feels overwhelming that you have to do this every day, you don't. The days you think of it, I can tell you from doing this for, I've been doing it for about five weeks, I think. I didn't quite start on January 1st. Um, I will tell you it is an exercise in gratitude. It is an exercise in savoring. And it is an exercise in networking because probably two or three mornings a week, I end up texting a photo that was the time we went to this musical or I was on site with a client four years ago today. Hey, thought I'd say a quick hi. And I've gotten three people starting to do this activity just because of me telling them what I'm doing. 
So that's an activity for you to think about. That's the boulder for today. Our main topic, our ponderous topic, passion. And I will tell you that this content originally came into being when I had an assignment with the U.S. Tennis Association back in the early 2000s. They had me present a lot of my content and they were um, having me speak at a meeting where the theme was passion. They said, do you have any content on passion? I said, no, but I want to. And I kind of turned around my, my normal, usually what I would do if I had a new topic to present on is I would go to, well, I, you know what I would do in the days before the interwebs, I would go to something called a card catalog. And some of you will need to Google that right now. <laughs> some of us remember card catalogs at the library and I go read a bunch of articles. And the downside of that method is that as soon as I read an article on pro procrastination where somebody talked about their framework or the five steps, my mind got locked in on that's how you teach procrastination. And I either felt like I was copying someone else's work or I wasn't being very creative. This was one of the first topics where I said, let's not look anywhere yet. If you were going to give a talk on passion tomorrow for 15 minutes, what do you think you talk about? And I ended up coming up with, um, starting out with, hello. Uh-oh. Here now, here now. Why is my slides not advancing? <laughs> Let's try that again. My slides don't want to advance. Oh, I know why. <laughs> I'm at the end of my slide deck from last night. Uh, Paul, can we remember to edit that out, please? Paul, edit that out. <laughs> the topic is passion. <laughs> and what I came up with um, at first was that I thought of passion as purpose in action. And the idea was that your passion comes from having a direction that you know that you want to go in, in your work or in your life, and consistently putting that into action. And I kind of liked the idea that passion and action, if you say those words together, if you mush them up, passion, that kind of sounds like passion. And I started thinking about what do I want to say about the creating a purpose statement or a mission statement for, for you or for your organization, and how do you put it into action? And I had several conversations with colleagues and just everyone that I um, had a chance to talk to when I was developing the content. And somebody said to me, I like where you're going with this, but here's my problem. I feel like I have passion, but my workplace is very toxic. And I feel like my passion gets buried there. And that really helped me rethink my simple equation and realize that what was missing is that you need purpose, you need to put it into action, but it also needs to take place in an enriching an environment. And so P plus A, purpose and action, needs to take place in an enriching environment. When I first started playing with this, I thought, oh, look, it's the algebra of passion. But that didn't sound very fun. <laughs> Excuse any math whizzes out there, but <laughs> I was not a math person. And I was really struck by what the person had said about burying, that, that their, their passion had been buried. And it, I really liked then playing with the metaphor of archaeology and that a lot of us have a fair amount of passion, but it may be buried uh, under years of disappointment or an, a work environment that doesn't necessarily cultivate it or unleash it. And that there's still sometimes some people who are, 
who are just unsure of where they're at or where they want to be with this. Um, and that's how, that's where we're going to dive in and unpack this a little bit. Uh, and so if I go here to the next screen, remember, I was hanging out with the U.S. Tennis Association. And one of the, the great serendipities of this is they had just gone through a two-year process of refining their organization's mission statement. And I was able to put it up on the screen at the time their mission statement was to promote and develop the growth of tennis. And I just double checked as I was building these slides last week and they've tweaked it a little bit, but it's still similar to promote, grow, develop and service the game of tennis. And I had been wanting to present to the group the thought that mission statements can be super helpful defining the purpose of an organization and to think about individuals spending time and energy developing a mission statement or a purpose statement to either help guide them in their work or maybe larger in their life. And I had been teaching how to use your organizational mission statement, uh, how to make it a more active part of your organization. And there was a book I was using about how to develop a good mission statement and USTA's mission ticked all of um, the boxes. Short, understandable, should be under should be able to be understood by a 12-year-old or a grandma that, you're, that isn't necessarily super familiar with the organization, memorable. Uh, the idea that, you, that members of the organization should be able to recite this under pressure, at least the key phrases or words. Um, that it should be obvious to somebody who knows the organization when they read the mission statement, they're like, yeah, obvious and yet distinctive and that it should help it stand apart from other organizations doing similar work. And I found myself early on in the process of helping other organizations develop mission statements saying, what's my mission statement? And I, it was fun to look at these slides from 20 years ago. These are completely rebuilt. I was looking at the, the old slides that were in an ancient version of Keynote. And uh, the mission statement that I use today is very, very similar. It just had a couple words different. My, what I say now is I help people expand their effectiveness and their enjoyment by sharing useful information in a fun way. And for me, effectiveness and enjoyment is really key. I want to help people be productive. I also want them to help them have fun. And I want to apply that to me, which is why in the second part of that, I want the information I share to be useful. I want to present it in a fun way because it goes deeper and it just makes for more fun. And that's part of life for me. Um, the question I have for you is, have you thought about a statement or a phrase that might help you define your work or your life? And if you're feeling a little lost, we're going to get some tips here that to get you started in this process. When I was doing, I ended up giving this presentation lots and lots of times in the years after the USTA um, and I first hung out. And one of the common activities I would do is I would put people in small groups uh, and then I would ask them to choose one of these three people, Martin Luther King Jr., Jr., uh, Mr. Rogers, or Mother Teresa. And as a table, try to come up with a short sentence or um, phrase that was understandable to a 12-year-old or grandma that was memorable and hopefully both obvious if you knew the person, but yet distinctive 
in terms of defining what you think their mission was uh, in their work and in their life. And then after giving them a few minutes to do one or two of those, I said, okay, which tables worked on Martin Luther King's mission? What did you come up with? And we sort of compared and contrasted the different examples. And what was really great about the examples is, is um, they, they all were a little different, but common words came up. When you talked about Dr. King, the word justice came up a lot. When you talked about Mr. Rogers' children, kindness, Mother Teresa um, working with poor, the word compassion came up a lot. And it's not like Mr. Rogers wasn't a compassionate person. It's not like, like uh, um, Mr. Rogers d- doesn't care about jo- justice. But for, but for all three of these individuals, of all the people they could help, there were very specific parameters that they were trying to do their good work in. And what I like about looking at famous people that we all kind of have a sense and we might be able to guess if they ever did this kind of activity, what they'd come up with, to help you get a sense um, of how powerful I think a purpose statement, a mission statement can be in terms of helping um, you do your work. And also when you're having to make tough choices, there's only so much time to spend on all the activities that you can do. And which one is going to help me move closer to to achieving my mission can be a useful thing. Here's the truth, though. If you're feeling overwhelmed right now in work or in life, and the idea of a mission statement sounds a little out of reach, I wanted to put this slide in here to just ask you to think about what's your why. This is a question I picked up from Simon Sinek, who helps organizations think about what their why is. And I think it's a useful question for us. What's your why? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why, what, what gets you to work? And if your first answer is the money right now, I'm just doing my job to get paid. That's a perfectly fine why. If it helps get you there, if it helps get you your work done and keep you from getting fired, focus on that for a little bit. I will tell you that the larger your why, the more empowering it can be for you, especially on the tough days. And if you expand it to say, oh, well, I actually, I like what the organization is doing and it gives me a chance to contribute. I like um, being around the people that I'm with. And here are some questions to ask yourself. Who or what am I drawn to? And, 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 and I say, if you're thinking about work mode, the activities at work that you, that you most enjoy. But it also might be, what are you drawn to outside of work? Who are you drawn to? And then the question will be why, if when, especially when you have a couple. Um, who or what makes you come alive? Like, are there television shows? Are there topics? Are there activities that you just feel a little bit more deeply engaged when you're involved with? Um, who are, who spending time with certain people or what activities or what places do you find yourself losing track of time. I think that's another clue that you've got some passion there, that there's some, maybe a larger purpose that's trying to let itself be known. Daydream about that a little bit and see if there might be some words or phrases that might help you define your purpose. And then we can move into putting it into action. And knowing that time is always tight when I hang out with you all, there's never enough time to say everything I want to say about a topic. There's always enough time to say what's important. And if I only, I do three-hour courses on time management. 
And if I had five minutes to talk about how do we take a purpose and how do we take consistent action on it, I would say there's three things you need to take consistent action on something. You need motivation. Raise your hand if you're a procrastinator. You need time because activities take a certain amount of time. And you need knowledge. You need to know what you're wanting to do and you need to know how to do it. And in my very brief part of this presentation, what I would say about each of these, the motivation and procrastination, I, I am so passionate about that topic and I have so much content that I'm really tempted to make that the topic of a, of a future um, one of these calls because we could easily spend 30 minutes or an hour talking about that. But what I would say in 90 seconds is that most of us, when we have a task we've identified that we wish we'd, we did it more, we're trying to find the motivation to get it done. And, and the law of inertia says a body at rest tends to stay at rest. And we know that well. The idea is to stop trying to get it done because that does often take too much motivation, more motivation than you have available to you. It's a lot less to find the motivation to get started. That is actually a much simpler task. You don't have to get your taxes done. What's the first thing that needs to get done? How can you put that on your to-do list and maybe reward yourself or convince yourself to just go do this little really small step? Exercise. I woke up this morning. I had a rough night's sleep. This weather that we're having here in Cincinnati gave me some yucky sinus headaches that really kept me up. When I was supposed to go for my morning four-mile walk, I knew I didn't have that in me. And so I said, I've got two letters that need to go out. How about you walk to the mailbox? And that was five minutes, I think it takes me there and back. And that gets me out. And there are so many times where I start my walk, I'm only going to do this. Maybe I'll walk the mail down to the post office to get me a little bit farther. But I find the longest thing that I know I can imagine doing. And I tell you, I did not return to my house this morning until after mile four had been achieved. And if you would have asked me an hour and 20 minutes earlier, are you going to walk four miles? I would say, absolutely not. And if I would have gotten to the mailbox and I didn't feel it, I might've looked down the street and picked what direction, say, let's just go one more block and see. But if I didn't feel it, I'd turn around. At that point, I don't torture myself or I force myself um, past very far past my limits. Getting started so often helps me find the motivation. I don't exercise because it helps me lose weight. I can eat way more Oreos in a couple minutes that out that instantly. I, I don't do it for I don't even do it for my physical health. I do it because I feel so good after I walk. And when I don't feel like walking. I don't try to get it done. I try to get it started. Time is always a huge issue. There is more on your to-do list than you can get done today. True? The problem with most time management um, systems that you read about, that you learn about, that you go to classes, that you buy stuff about is underneath it is if you follow this right, if you adapt it to your personality and you do everything right and you find the discipline, you can get everything done that you want to get done. And I think Oliver Berkman taught me that's a myth. And the best thing you can do for yourself is realize there is no system that allows you to get done because to-do list, lots of stuff on our to-do list, it just, you know, doing the laundry, it's never done, done, right? Today's laundry's done, but then we're, we're making more. My photos are never going to be all caught up. 
we develop a process saying, if I got a little bit of time, what can I do? And the best gift you could give yourself from this presentation is to give yourself space to grieve the loss of all the things that you would like to do that just probably aren't going to get done. And it's not just put, it's not just, put, um, sometimes we think, oh, I need to get more efficient or I need to take off things on my plate that I don't like. You do need to do that. But the reality is there are really exciting opportunities that I turn down regularly because I can't do everything. And the cool thing is when you give up the myth of being able to do everything, you can do just about anything. What do you need to give up so that you can get to your anything? The last piece here is very quick. It's just about knowledge. And I will tell you, I learned this from a, an efficiency expert who was helping me get organized two decades ago, Irene. She was going to come over, look at my workspace. I had a couple things I needed help getting organized. And I said, I, I have cleaned up many times. I always seem to have this one pile. And she says, I haven't looked at your pile yet, but I suspect when we go through it, we're going to find that at least 80% of the things in the pile, you've never decided where to store. And that seemed like the dumbest thing in the world. And I got off the phone with her. And before she, before she was going to come over in a few days, I looked through the pile and I'll be darned. There were things I wasn't ready to get rid of that I was pretty sure I wanted to keep but I didn't have a file named that. I hadn't figured out what to call it. I hadn't figured out what to name it, or I hadn't figured out the right place to store it. Never occurred to me. So sometimes when you and I are thinking that motivation is the problem or time is the problem, just remember there's a third one. You might not know what you need to be doing, or you might not know how to do it. And you might not have noticed, I need to figure out how to do that. It's not just a matter of motivating myself to do it. I don't know what I'm doing. Ponder. Our time keeps moving and that's okay because we've talked about purpose and we've talked about action. The third step is an enriching an environment. And I'm so excited to share with you. I had a, some different models that I was using for this segment and what started me dusting off the archeology span of passion content was last November, I saw a news release from the US Surgeon General's office, um, the framework for workplace mental health and well well-being. They had been working on this for years and released it last fall. And it's really changing how I look at workplace. And I think there's implications for us applying it in personally as well. I'm going to give you a link to this. To, so, so, so don't try to capture this all at once. Just notice there's five big areas, protection from harm, connection, and community around. And then each one has two little wings coming off of it. And I'm just going to break this down in the last couple of minutes here. And don't try to write all this down. I'm going to give you the slides. You can come back and listen to this. I mean, even in the summary, I'm going to put the names of these and the descriptions. These are words that I pulled from the report. I kind of put them in an order so it's close to a sentence. For protection from harm, if I was going to ask you to think about your workplace and how it is doing, how your boss, how the organization overall is doing it, creating conditions for two things, safety, protection from harm, injury, illness, discrimination, bullying, harassment, and security, feeling secure financially and in your job future. If you were going to give them a scale, a, a score on a scale of one to 10, how they're doing right now at protecting you from harm or protecting the employees overall from harm, 
could you, could you jot down a number? And then the second number I would encourage you to think about is when I think about me taking care of me, how am I doing at pre developing protection from harm for me? How am I doing at creating conditions for safety and security and give myself a score? And then you go to the next one, community, connection and community, fostering positive social interactions through social support, which they define as networks and relationships that can offer help and minimize loneliness and isolation. And then also belonging, being an accepted member of the group. Again, if, if, if you're writing while you're listening to this, connection and community, write it down, give your organization a score on a scale of one to 10, and then maybe give you a score. How are you doing at fostering a sense of connection and community? And I'm gonna go through these kind of fast just so we can keep ourselves on time. Um, Work-life harmony, integrating work and non-work demands with a sense of two things again, autonomy, control over how work is completed, and flexibility, choice about when and where work gets done. How is your organization doing at that? And then overall, how would you say you're doing at work life harmony? And I will, I will confess to you, I needed to get rid of one of the, the, either this slide or the next one. I couldn't decide between these two pictures for work-life harmony. So if you could do me a favor, I, I asked them last night in order to, and I was gonna pick the winner and delete the other one it came out 50-50. If you like prefer the goat image, can you put that in the, in the chat? If you prefer the bunny image um, for work-life harmony, let me know and I'll hopefully whittle this down. Um, let's get to the last couple ones. Mattering, cultivating a shared sense of dignity, being respected and valued, and meaning, a sense of broader purpose and significance in one work, one's work. How's your workplace doing? at helping you and, and employees in general matter? And then how would you say you're doing at mattering for yourself? I've given myself a lot of hugs in this, in this presentation and it feels good. Last one is opportunities for growth. Nurturing mindsets that encourage learning, acquiring new skills and knowledge, and accomplishment, meeting goals and having an impact. Again, how's the organization? And then how are you doing at creating opportunities for growth for you? The, the model itself is fantastic. The website, the web link um, is, is fantastic. I'm going to put it in here as soon as I unshare my screen, and then we're going to wrap up. I will just show you briefly in presentations where I'm live with people, very commonly, I present quick assessments like this. And then I break all the rules of good PowerPoint. I put the, the, the terms and the definitions up on the screen. And I've asked, I've either given them a handout with the, with the five things written on them, or I've had them scribble down just the names. And I ask him, can you circle the one that you think is the strongest that you're doing really well right now, or one or two? And then can you put an asterisk by one or two that you're struggling with or that if you worked on it might help you personally or professionally. In this case, I might have you do that for both the, the larger, for your organization and also individually. And then I break into small groups again and we talk about which are your strengths and how did you develop them and which are your weak areas and how would you develop them. 
And I am hoping that you're thinking this would make a good content for my staff meeting next week. And you bring this in, you present it. I'll, I'm certainly happy to share JPEG version of my files. If you even just want to use my slides and share them at your workplace, I'd love to know, because this is all, this isn't my content. This is from the Surgeon General. And I think it's fantastic. Oh, friends, time, time, time goes so quickly. Um, first things, let me do real quickly before we wrap up. Let me take just a second and put US, actually, let me take both of these. Do, do, do. And so 43 new messages, boy, you all are, oh, thank you. Somebody caught a typo. I love that. Thank you, Renee, you're such a peach. Thank you. Um, if you think of it, email that to me when you get your next ripples, because I will forget and I won't remember to look in the chat for that, but I will definitely catch that. You're, oh, right there it is. Opportunity for grown. I see it. Never mind. Hold, please. Keep, keep 82 people waiting. <laughs> okay, fix. <laughs> Listen, oh, I didn't hit return over here. Distracted much? Focus will be the topic of next week. <laughs> Zoomy Zoom. In the chat right now, or in the links of the podcast, if you're listening to it, or the live or the YouTube, should be the US Surgeon General's framework. And then once more, I would so love it if you could take a second to um, do an evaluation of this meeting. I do want to keep the recording pretty tight to 30. So at this point, I'm going to say thank you to the people um, who are.